Guys, thank you so much uh, for coming tonight for uh, Vision Night. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to attempt to, to sit on a stool and kind of do this kind of family style. I remember one time, though, we had uh, Johnny Hunt coming to preach at something at Gardendale First Baptist. And we asked uh, Johnny, said, well, Johnny, do you want a stool? And he said, what for? I guess I could throw it at somebody. I don't, you know, so... Again, I'm not sure if this is going to work uh, for that long or not, just with, uh, with my personality. I'm a little ADD. Uh, but uh, again, so thankful for each and every one of you being here uh, tonight. I want to start off with this passage of Scripture just from that verse, um, just in light of that song. Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus says this, And behold, I am coming soon. And behold, I am coming soon. You know, I think all of us this last year have had uh, different moments for the last 18 months. And uh, I heard somebody say recently that uh, most of us can always remember when the world changed at September 11th, 2001. I think all of us now will remember how the world changed in 2020 as we all have lived through a global pandemic still enduring the effects of that. And it's, it's taught all of us so many different things. But one of the things that it's taught me specifically uh, is to look more for the return of the Lord Jesus. To look for that day, to, to know and recognize, man, that this world is only temporal, uh, that glory is forever. In the presence of the Lord Jesus, the kingdom of God, is what matters most. And so tonight, I just want you to know as we come and we lay out some things uh, as far as vision for the... Yeah, this stool's not going to work, y'all. Uh, this vision-wise, uh, as far as for the days ahead, that that's what's first and foremost in my heart and my mind. Is to know that this life is just a vapor and that glory is forever. And as what uh, C.T. Studd said one time, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And so again, I want to lay out tonight just some first steps. I know that we were so thankful that we had about a, almost a month to be able to come in. And, and uh, our vacation did not work out going to go down the beach. So it gave us some great time to spend here in the office and do some administrative things. And to get to really know the staff, to see the culture of the church, where we are. And then even these, this last month and getting to preach and really uh, kind of to get to go, go through just day in, day out ministry here at the church. Uh, it's given me some, some great opportunities to really hear from the Lord, to meet with some important people at the church to gather with our staff and to really, I believe, help us see some visions, some first steps that can help us poise us in the days ahead at Indian Baptist Church to truly be a church that is reaching our community, that is reaching our neighbors and ultimately the nations. And so tonight, I just want you to know that vision is a huge part even of what and God's calling of our family to come here. I remember right after the pastor's search committee had invited us the opportunity to come and preach in view of a call. I snuck up here one Sunday night and I was praying in the back of that parking lot. And I was saying, oh Lord, would you speak and lay on my heart? What is your will for our life? And I opened up my Bible and it fell open to Proverbs 29 verse 18. It says, for there is no vision of people perish. Vision, a true vision comes from the heart of a person. It's not, if it's not from the heart of a person, it's a strategy or it's a plan or at worst, a sales pitch. But a real vision is birthed from within. So before I give you some first steps, some practical things, and we're going to talk about some practical things tonight, I want to let you know a few things. The way that God has created me as your pastor, that I believe he, that he uses to inform me as far as vision. This is how God has created me, and this is what God uses as far as speaking vision into my life. So there's a few things you need to know about me tonight. First... You need to know what, what, what informs my vision is you need to know what motivates me as your pastor. What moves me as your 
pastor. The first thing I think you need to know is that you need to know that I am motivated by a great urgency for the lost and a call to make disciples. When I think about Luke chapter 9, verse 4, it says, For we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, when, for night is coming when no man can work. Maybe it's because I didn't grow up really going to church, but I was a teenager. I'm so thankful. How many of you guys, let's get a big hand for our teenagers. So thankful to have them here tonight. But guys, I want, I want y'all to know tonight, again, you are always welcome here on Sunday mornings. We want you to be, you are just as much a part of the church family as anybody else here in this room. And so I was 14 years old. I did not grow up in church when somebody invited me to a Wednesday night youth service. And that's where I heard the gospel and where Jesus Christ changed my life. So I absolutely know that Jesus is real. I would give my life for him. And that happened because somebody invited me as a young teenager to a Wednesday night service. So when I run and I jog in this community, when I pray in this area, that's what I think about is who is living and dying in the community around us that does not know the love of Jesus. Secondly, I want you to know that I am motivated by a great desire to bring glory to God. Being the pastor of Indian Baptist Church is not about me. Being a deacon at Indian Baptist Church, being a member at Indian Baptist Church is not about any one of us. It's not about our church. It's about the kingdom of God. That ultimately, that what the church is about is about pointing other people to Jesus. And what, what is a consistent joy and also consistent place of responsibility for me is the reality that one day I will give an account to Jesus for what I did in this life. Not how great I played sports, not how much money I had in the bank, not how well taken care of my grandkids were, but what will matter most is what I did for Jesus. There's a plaque that we are getting put on our wooden pulpit. I asked Angela, she's been so great to help me. To, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 28, and it says this. Every time I come to the pulpit, I want to think about this. It says, for we see now dimly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Speaking about one day, right now, I see dimly. We just see in part. But one day when I stand before Jesus, we will see face to face. I remember John Piper telling the story about a couple who had done well financially in their early years, invested well, did all these things well, so that they were able to retire early in their mid-50s. And they retired to this incredible vacation home near the beach. And they would play golf during the day and eat these meals, these great meals. But in the evenings, they would go, they'd walk along the beach and they would collect seashells. And he talked about this couple who had done so, that God had blessed them so much financially. God had blessed them with their health. And so many, they had so much opportunity that one day they were going to stand before the God who created them and gave them all of that and be able to say, God, this is what I did with my life. Here's my seashell collection. And what a tragedy that would be. The glory of God has to be what moves us and motivates us. And that's what motivates me as your pastor. Secondly, concerning what informs my vision, you need to know what excites me as your pastor. If you haven't noticed yet, I'm a pretty excitable person. It's pretty easy. I'm naturally caffeinated, okay? First, as your pastor, I want you to know that I get incredibly excited when I think about all the potential power in the church. To see incredible things happen for the glory of God. The church is Jesus' design. It is the track that the mission of God and the power of God travels on. Know this today. There's no plan B. There is no plan B 
for reaching people for Jesus in Marsh and Kimberly and Warrior and Hayden and Corner and Fultondale and Gardendale and Mount Olive and Pence and North, South, East and West. That's the communities that I've been praying for. There's no plan B. For those who are struggling in addiction, for those who are lost in sin and brokenness, there's no plan B. There's nobody else going to swoop in at the last minute before death enters a door of someone. There's nothing going to, no parachurch organization that's going to swoop into a high school or a middle school to make sure this next generation knows about Jesus. It is our responsibility. But what's so great about that is it's God's plan. And we can have great spiritual impact. Right after Jesus' first reference to the church is in Matthew chapter 16. Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. He says, upon this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing here is referring to a spiritual work that the church can go do powerful work that heaven can come to earth. It looks like people being saved, people being set free, people being sent out. The spiritual climates of homes and communities change from darkness to light. This is what the church can be. And then we can have practical impact. When the church doesn't just speak to the spiritual, but the church as the kingdom of God comes, it changes the practical. It changes what happens in people's lives. And the Bible speaks about how we are all gifted for the common good. I believe that when God's people put their hands to something, there's nothing we can't do. I believe that we can genuinely see foster care need change in this community. That we can see relief and recovery from addiction change in this community. That we can see counseling and support for marriages. That marriages can be saved. People who are confused about gender and about their sexuality in a lost and broken world, we can bring truth to that. That the struggles in the physical body with anxiety and depression, those things are real. And while we all struggle, and Christians have always struggled with emotional issues, by the way, even in Scripture, can I tell you something here today? It's hopeless to be in the midst of depression. It's even more darker if you're there without Jesus. And so the Bible, the, the, the gospel can speak to that. We can make changes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly... Beyond all we could even ask or think, according to the power that is worked within us, the church. To Him be the glory, and in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations. Amen. If Enon said, we don't want to see one person in our area have to struggle with addiction without a process to be set free, we could do it. If we wanted to see that there would be no marriage in this community fail without having an option where they could come and find truth and counseling to have recovery in that, we could do it. There's literally nothing we could not do. One of the passages that I'm praying for us at Enon is Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see dreams and your young men will see visions. My prayer is is that God starts birthing visions and dreams out of the heart of God's people right here to go make practical change in our community. Sometimes we've got to get the salt out of the salt shaker. Finally, you need to know what concerns me. I wouldn't say worry. Worry is a bad word, but concern is probably a better word. What concerns me concerning the vision that I believe that God is laying on our heart here? My main concern is like so many in the scriptures, is that we just miss out on God's best. I believe that God is sovereignly in control. 
But I also believe that the Bible shows us on several occasions that people missed what God was desiring to do in them, for them, and through them. And I believe it's possible for us to be a church that misses what God wants to do. I went to the North Jefferson Baptist annual meeting this last week and was looking over the paperwork and saw the list of churches. And there were three churches that were listed on that that listed next to them said closed. Closed. If we don't think that that's not going to continually become a reality in the days ahead, then we are not assessing the situation well. Right now in Europe and even all over up and down our seaboards, up and down our coast, churches are becoming bars. Churches are becoming tattoo houses. Churches are becoming places, in many places, are places of Muslim worship now. If we don't believe that it's possible for us to miss God's best, then we're not rightfully assessing the situation. That happens for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons we miss God's best is because we don't see the need. We're just blind to the need. One of the great needs that I think that we can all miss right now, if we're not careful, is we can miss... The opportunity and the great need to reach the next generation. Church, please hear me on this. I am not prioritizing one generation over another. I am so excited about speaking at the senior adult luncheon tomorrow, I can't stand it, okay? I love senior adults. They've been some of my greatest mentors. I love every generation out there. But we also must know that in Scripture, it is always the responsibility of the previous generation to reach the next generation. Psalms 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's not a strategy, it's our responsibility. And then secondly, we must be a church that sees the need to reach the next generation because we've seen the need today is greater than we've ever seen. I want you to look at this graph that's on the screen. This was provided by the Southern Baptist Convention just this last year at the annual meeting. This graph represents SBC baptisms from people ages 12 to 17 over the last 50 years. You can see that in 1972, SBC churches baptized over 130,000 students in this age range. In 2019, just under 50 years later, SBC churches baptized barely over 50,000. SBC churches reached barely over one-third of the people that we once reached 50 years ago. Now listen to this. Even though our population in that same amount of time has grown by a third. We went from 200 million to 300 million. and we, So we've grown by a third, but we only reached a third of what we did in a smaller population. Now listen, it, it doesn't mean that we haven't had any impact. Praise God for those 50,000 that came to faith in Christ. But believe this is, the, the, the problem with that is, is that we're not keeping up. We're not even coming close with staying on board with reaching the next generation. We're going backwards, not forward. George Barna said this, statistically speaking, whatever a person believes, believes to be true, by the time they're 14, they will believe the rest of their life. You hear that? Whatever, statistically speaking, what you believe to be true, by the time you're 14, you are most likely to believe that for the rest of your life. I got Miss Ann to help me pull some numbers here. In the last eight years here at Enon Baptist Church, this is not age 12 to 17, this is all children included, 0 to 17. In the last eight years, we've baptized 99 kids here at Enon Baptist Church. Praise God for that, okay? Praise God for that. That's not a bad thing. Praise God for that. Amen. 
That average is 12 and a half a year, okay? But can I say something to you here today? We can do so much more. We must do so much more. I had a conversation with Craig Kennedy just this last week, the principal at Mormon Jordan High School. He says, Zach, do you realize that we're a school of almost 900 now? There's almost 1,000 high schoolers at Mormon Jordan High School. We can't settle for 12 and a half a year. We can't even come close to that. That should grieve our heart. Students, can I say something to you here today, guys? That's your classmates. That's your buddies. That's your people you play football with, basketball with, you cheer with, that you're in the band with. That's your buddies and friends. The reality is, is that we want to assist you, but you've got to be the missionaries. It's got to be you that says, hey, I, I'm going to think about the eternal situation of my buddies and my friends because Jesus is better. And you can't do that any other way than just falling in love with Jesus, guys. And that's what, I mean, if you don't hear anything else from your pastor here today, we want you to know we just want you to fall in love with Jesus because he's better. He's good. I promise you he's good. So we think about reaching the next generation. This is something, this is some of the things when I think about we have to see the need. Secondly, sometimes we miss what God is doing simply by a lack of faith. Do we believe, church? One of my prayer cards is to see 100 people baptized in a year here at Eden Baptist Church, to see those days coming. The question is, do I really believe that? And let me tell you something. Our faith will dictate the level of the ministry of the work of God among our church. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, Jesus goes home to Nazareth. They think he's weird because who is this? Is this not the carpenter's son? And this is what it says. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You could say, well, that discredits the sovereignty of God. Let me tell you something. That's just scripture. There were things that Jesus could have done there that he didn't do because of their unbelief. May we not be a church that's limited by our faith. May we not be a church that's limited by our belief. And that can, can I say something to you, church? That can't just be my faith. That can't just be the faith, can't just be the faith of the pastor. That's got to be the faith of visions and dreams that God puts in your heart. I love the ministry of Brother John, the leadership of John Hambright. I used to love when people go sit down in Brother John's office. Hey, Brother John, I got this great idea. And they'd lay out this big plan, this idea that, he, that they wanted him to take on. And he'd just sit there and nod and say, that's great. And, and then he'd just shake his head and say, well, when are you going to start it? He said, the way I see it, God gave it to you. It sounds like you need to lead it. And then thirdly, sometimes we miss what God is doing just because of our own personal preference. I say, well, if, I, if we do that, then it changes what I like what I'm used to, what I'm accustomed to. Can I say we've all got our preferences? We've all got things that we like and we enjoy. Can I say something to you here today? If, if we're not willing to, in some levels, give up the things we like and enjoy so that we can reach other people, connect with other people, then we'll become a very inward-focused church. Let me tell you what an inward-focused church, church does. It's like fruit that rots. It is the only thing that eats itself in nature. But the good thing that we have here at Eden Baptist Church is that what we can put our hats on here today is that for a church that is fully committed to God's mission and the glory of God, there's nothing that is impossible for them. We, and we've already got a great mission, mission statement here at Eden Baptist Church. Our mission statement is to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. This is essentially the great commandment and the great commission. We're going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And then we're going to go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even until the end of the age. 
Now, there are some specific ways that I believe that God has laid on my heart for us at Enon Baptist Church to achieve this mission. I shared, shared several of them several months ago when I preached in view of a call. Uh, view of a call. So now we're going to make these some of the values here at Enon Baptist Church. These are going to be some of our markers for completing the mission. So let me give you these very quickly. You'll remember this. This is 10 markers for completing our mission here at Enon Baptist Church. We want to strive to be a church that's a spiritual church. But the power of the Holy Spirit is working among us. When we read the book of Acts, we don't need to see the book of Acts and say that's a different church than the church we see today. We need to believe for the Spirit of God working among us. And that can scare us a little bit. But like I said when we several months ago, the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird, okay? We want to be a spiritual church. We want to be a supplicating church. We've got to be a church that prays. We're going to talk more about that in a second. We're going to be a soul-winning church. We want to be a church that is consistently sharing the gospel. We want to be a strong scriptural church that makes disciples that are able to make disciples according to the gospel, according to truth. We want to be a student-filled church where we see our students and our children that we're impacting the next generation. We want to be a sending church, a church that helps people be sent. Again, you hear me say that on Sunday mornings, we want you to be sent to your neighborhoods. Some of you, we want you to be sent to the nations. I've asked the question, and I hope maybe you hope this is not true, but from what I can tell thus far, I don't know that we've ever sent a full-time missionary to the mission field from Indian Baptist Church. If we have, I want to know their name. We're going to paint a picture of them, a mural or something on the wall somewhere. But here's the deal. We haven't in so long we can't remember if we did, okay? Guys, that needs to change. Pray that God raises up people to the nations to give their life, but also people to be sent right here in their neighborhood. Students, for you to get in the morning, you're not just going to school. Man, you're going to be a missionary. That you're going there to bring the light of the gospel to dark places. We want to be a singing church. We want to be a church that is worshiping in spirit and in truth. A serving church. We're going to talk more about that in a few moments. A stewarding church. A church that is bringing the time. Praise God for your giving, by the way. We want to make sure that we're changing lives through that. And then finally, we want to be a church that sticks together. A church that is unified. I want to say this to you very briefly. Unity's not an, an, unity doesn't happen by accident. It's a choice. In that unity, there's a couple things we got to do. we got to commit that we're going to be a death-on gossip church. We don't gossip here. We don't talk about other people. You can get talked about all over the world. You get talked about at school. You're, you are not going to get talked about here. And you're not going to talk about people here. If you want to get on the wrong side of your pastor, start gossiping. Man, I may, I may pray like Elijah and pray that God sends bears down and just takes you off, Okay? Let me tell you a great way to define gossip. If you know something about somebody else and you tell it to somebody else, and that person you tell it to is not part of the problem or the solution, it's gossip. You hear me there? If that person is not directly involved in the problem or the solution, then it's gossip. And then secondly, we've seen this in recent days. We can get divided over a lot of things in culture. We've got to give grace on preference, but we've got to stand together on providence. Which means this is what unifies us. Now, there's other things in life you may like to deer hunt. Or I may like to deer hunt and you may like to donate to the ASPCA or whatever. You know, that's fine. Hey, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, okay? But when it comes to truth on Scripture, this is what unifies us. So, now that you know where my heart works and vision, I, I want to give you a first, I believe, a first few steps to help us go forward in completing this vision.
I'm going to give you a few of these tonight. First, to complete a great vision for our church, we must become a church that is committed to extraordinary prayer. Prayer has to be the first function of the church. It has been the first function of every major movement of God. I mean, it's so great here, by the way. Most great revivals, and I say this with our teenagers here, most great revivals that happened throughout history started among young people. And it started among young people who were so disgusted with the culture around them, the darkness around them, that they decided to come together and start praying that God would show up. The Welsh revival that basically changed the uh, uh, several islands outside of Europe and Ireland there, it started with some young teenage men who were going to a hayloft and passing the night in prayer. Guys, maybe God late calls up some of you to say, hey, I'm going to lead a prayer revival that God does a work at Mormon Jordan High School, North Jefferson Middle School, or wherever you go. Same thing in the Second Great Awakening, Jeremiah Lamphere. God laid on his heart to start a noontime, Bible prayer, uh, uh, noontime prayer. 12 to 1, come to pray. The first day at 12.30, there's not a soul there. Finally at 12.30, a few steps started coming up at this old church on Fulton Street. He had six people there at his first prayer meeting. It wasn't fantastical. It wasn't some super produced thing. They came together to pray and they went home. The next day, there were a few more. Next day, there were a few more. Then there was a collapse in the community as far as financially. And it started bringing people to desperation. And then hundreds. And then finally, thousands were coming at noontime to pray. The revival that started there started to go up and down the eastern seaboard. And it is estimated that out of that, over a million people at that time, one out of four Americans got saved during that time. And it started by people who said, we just want to pray. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we're to be a people who pray without ceasing. So how do we become a church that is a house of prayer? We're going to pray first daily. This starts with your staff. I love our staff, by the way. We've got so much unity on our staff team among our pastors right now. Praise God for that. And one of the things that's so beautiful about that is that we start every Monday from 8.30 to 9.30 on our faces before God. And then from there, we challenge each one of our pastors to spend one hour of their work day every work day in prayer, calling out to God. But we're not just saying that for ourselves. We're wanting to challenge the church to do that. What if everybody in the church put aside that hour, put aside that 30 minutes, whatever it may be, to truly call out to God in prayer? Our hopes is after the first of the year that we're going to provide you with, everybody, some prayers for the year. This is what we're praying God does in 2022. We want to pray weekly. We're going to do that on Sunday mornings. Hadn't you spelt the Spirit of God on Sunday mornings just inviting people to come and pray? Amen. We're going to continue to do that, but we're also going to, I'm praying that God even tonight burdens it on somebody's heart to start a noontime prayer. If it's Tuesdays, if it's Wednesdays, for somebody to say, hey, I'm going to start a one day of the week where there's nothing going on at the church, that right here in this sanctuary, I'm going to invite people to come and pray. And if you work in the area, if you're a senior adult, if you're retired, that you come and we've got at least a lunchtime prayer, just like Jeremiah Lemphere did to come and pray. Monthly, and it's almost you put this on your calendar. Every third Sunday night of the month, we're going to do church-wide prayer. We're going to come together on a Sunday night. We're going to have prayer prompts on the screen. It's not going to be super fantastical. It's not because you're not there to be entertained. We're there to do work. And we're going to come to pray. And we tell you something, church, we're going to see how much we really believe that God wants to do a work by the attendance that we vote with our feet. Are we willing to come together once a month to pray? 
third Sunday night prayer. I'm so excited about that. My prayer would be is that we have so many people come to that that we, just like we have the two services on Sunday morning, we've got to start having two services on Sunday night for prayer. Seasonal, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January as a church. We're going to start off every year in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then we're going to have targeted moments of prayer. We're going to do a prayer wall in the fall. As we talk about reaching lost people, where you can write the names of lost people on something that reminds you to pray for them weekly, to have regular people that you're praying for lost people, and we're going to watch them come to know Jesus. Can I tell you something? When Kimberly and I were in Arkansas, we lived in three different neighborhoods, three different communities. We started praying specifically for our neighbors around us, and we got to baptize people from every one of those neighborhoods. We got to see people come to faith in Christ. You know why? Because God is still saving people. And people are still searching for Jesus. It's arrogance to believe that God would do anything here at Enon if we don't pray. But should give us confidence if we believe him if we do. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. Secondly, to complete our great vision around us, we must be a church that's committed to serving people around us. Jesus always did this. He started his ministry off, he'd come and heal people, he would minister to people, and then preach the gospel. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. So we're going to do this regularly because we're going to find ways to bless businesses in the community around us. Some of you don't know this, but the last home game at Mormon Jordan High School on Thursday night, October 28th, we had some designated monies aside in the budget that was in the purview of the pastor to go make disciples. You know what we're going to do that night? We're going to cover the concession stand. And everybody who comes to get a Coke or some nachos or a hot dog, when they go to pay for it, they're going to get a card from Enon Baptist Church that says, Enon Baptist Church loves you just to let you know we love you. You say, man, that may sound crazy. What if they come back twice? Well, hey, man, that's between them and Jesus. You know? <laughs> I'm going to get a hot dog that night. You know? We're going to find ways to bless our community. Semesterly, at least three times a year, we're going to do some community-wide serve days. Where we can serve our community, we can serve our first responders, we can serve people in need, we can feed people, we can paint, we can wash cars. And you know, tell you what we're going to do in just a few weeks, we're even going to have t-shirts that everybody in this room is going to get one. This is what it looks like, by the way. How about that? Woo, yeah, how about that? And you get a t-shirt, and you get a t-shirt. Hey, but this is, see, the, it's got our community there for our neighbors. Who are we after? We're after our neighbors. Who's your neighbor? Everybody that God puts in your path. And on the back of it, it's going to say Indian Baptist Church. We want to be as needed in our disaster relief team that's already doing such a great job. We want to be led by servants and volunteers. Everybody plays a part, and our seniors can play a huge part in this. If you're retired, if you're an empty nester, it's a great moment for you to help us even during the week. And then we're going to do it by providing funds to bless our community. Praise God that... We were able to pay off our debt here at Indian Baptist Church, by the way. Praise God for that. We're debt free. That freed up almost a quarter of a million dollars in our budget for debt retirement. We've been working with the finance team that we're going to take a significant portion of that and we're going to create in our budget for this next year a blessing our community budget. And each year we're going to have to look at that budget and say, how can we give it away? How can we bless ministries? How can we bless people in need? How can we love our community? If Enon Baptist Church was to close tomorrow, would anybody in the community ever notice? We've got to know that. 
Thirdly, to complete our vision, we must become a people who's committed to engaging our neighbors in spiritual conversations. The way that our community is laid out with neighborhoods and subdivisions. How many people live in a subdivision here? Raise your hand. How about that right there? You don't have to go far to find far from God people. You hear me? You don't have to go far to find far from God people. How many of you work in workplaces with multiple people? How many students, man, you're around people all the time. We're going to help you find ways to engage people with this. First, we're going to provide regular invite opportunities and resources. God still uses the invite, by the way. God still uses opportunities. When people invite people to church, they hear the gospel. This year at Christmas, instead of doing our candlelight service here, we've got permission, we're doing it at Mortimer Jordan High School. And we've got 2,000 ornaments that are ordered that say Indian Baptist Church on one side it says uh, Merry Christmas on the other side and the whole purpose of that is for you to take five or six of them and everybody in here you go knock on your neighbor's doors it gives you something to give them hey here's a Christmas ornament Merry Christmas and then invite them to the candlelight service you say well why are we not doing it at the church because we can fit about 500 people in here packed out we can we can fit about 1500 people at Mortimer Jordan High School my prayer is we feel it we feel it Because people will come if you invite them. That sounded like Field of Dreams, by the way. (laughs) And then, secondly, we're going to provide training to engage in spiritual conversations. We're going to provide ways. If you have never been able to share the gospel with somebody, how many of you in this room have never won somebody to Jesus, but you've been a Christian five years, ten years, twenty years, fifty years? You've never won somebody to Jesus. We want to train you each fall. I'm going to commit to lead an equipped class on Wednesday night of training people how to share the gospel. And then fourthly, to complete our great vision, we must be a, become a church that is committing, committed to building the church. Now when I speak about building the church, I'm speaking about church infrastructure, primarily staff and facilities. Again, praise God that we're able to do some of these things because of your faithfulness to give. Now, everything that we're about to talk about here, I've already spoken with the deacons about it, spoken with the staff about it, spoken to all the pertinent committees, and everybody is on board. Now, some of these things, the staff things, we're preparing to do immediately. We're preparing to do soon. And then some of the facilities things, hear me tonight, I'm just putting it in front of you, okay? I want us to begin praying and planning and looking to these things. Why, why do I want to give you a heads up on it? Well, first off, I think it's my responsibility as the pastor to lead, and you've got to see me where I'm going, Okay? I believe that organization is one of the greatest forms of spiritual warfare. If we take confusion out of it, then we, give the, we, we take an opportunity for the devil to not have a voice in those situations. So that being said, again, before we talk about any of these things, I want you to know, too, that it is our goal on the finance team to not add a single dollar to our budget next year. In the weird financial season that we're in, we want to keep the exact same budget that we had last year, even though we're over budget. Because we want to make sure that we're conservative in weird days, okay? Because let's just be honest with you, it's weird days. But if we just keep the same budget we have, because we're debt-free, we can do so much that we were already doing and keep the same budget. One of the first ways that we're going to build the church is by redefining uh, some of our ministerial staff roles and hire a few new positions. When I spoke with the pastor search committee, they made it clear that everyone understood that we were understaffed as a church here If you don't know that, then come talk to me about it. I can make it really clear. Our percentage of staff is very under budget as compared to our budget, our attendance with other Southern Baptist churches of our size. 
This means that our staff has been working double duty and has been working double duty for a long time. When I first arrived, I began doing staff evaluations and discovered that this was the case. So in order for us to be able to go forward, we've got to readjust some people's positions to truly focus on responsibilities that they can manage well and hire some new positions to poise us to go forward. Again, the personnel committee is in total agreement with this. John Maxwell said, everything rises and falls on leadership. We can't expect to to go places that we don't have leaders to lead us. So I want to ask Donnie and Luke to join me up here real quick. These are the two guys that we're going to adjust some of their positions. Let's give them a hand first, by the way. I've been told multiple times that people think that Donnie and I look alike, and my response is always the same. I've always thought Donnie was handsome. So, First, let's talk about Donnie. Donnie is our next steps minister, which originally meant he would oversee our assimilation process. That's people help people get involved in the church. He is also over our communications, which includes all of our videos, social media, print, promotional, promotional materials. This alone could be justified as a full-time, church, a full-time job here at Enon. However, you know, if you know Donnie, he does so much more than that. Out of necessity. Okay, praise God. Out of necessity, the previous pastor helped him and needed him in many ways. I know Russ Russ used him in many ways well beyond this. And during the transition time, many of you may not know, Donnie has basically served as the associate pastor and served in so many different ways, led the staff. And so after meeting with him, we were going to trim his responsibilities back and we're now going to refer to him. Donnie is going to be our minister to adults and communication. In this role, he's going to continue to oversee all of our communications, which he's done so well. But then he's also going to oversee our adult life groups and our Wednesday night equipped classes. He's going to be the staff representative, not the leader, but the representative for men's ministry, women's ministry, and senior adults. So he's just the person that can help bring those things. But overall, he's going to focus on communications and pretty much adult discipleship. It's been a long time since Ian has had a minister of education. How many remember that role? You know, that kind of Sunday school director kind of role? That's going to be what Donnie is over. It's manageable. It's within his gifts. He is a leader and a blessing to this church. So let's give Donnie a hand. Donnie, you sit down. Now let's talk about Luke. Love this guy, by the way. Previously, Luke served as our minister to middle school. However, during this transition time, Luke has been given the responsibility of overseeing the entire student ministry during a difficult transition. You had to navigate COVID, and you had to navigate the losing of a leader in Dominic. But Luke has done an incredible job. I've seen him on multiple times on Wednesday nights. I've been over there. I've heard him teach. Folks, he taught a lesson on prayer a couple weeks ago that I was moved to great prayer. Now, I know Luke is young. I was the exact same age as Luke when Indian Baptist Church called me as the full-time student pastor. What you can't train people, Luke will grow in leadership in the days ahead. I'm going to mentor him. We're going to have some of these new hires that we're going to hire is going to rally around him. But let me tell you something that you can't hire, that you can't teach, is a heart for God. I went a few weeks ago to go visit a woman who was dying of cancer. And I watched a 24-year-old guy walk into that room and weep and pray with this lady that God would step in and heal. I've heard him weep and pray for the movement of God among our next generation. And that, let me tell you something, I can handle that. We'll go a long way with that. There may be a day in the days ahead 
where we can split that again, middle school and high school. We're not quite there right now. Luke's already doing the job. We're going to take college and career away from Luke. And right now, so from this point forward, Luke is going to be our minister to students. He's going to oversee middle school and high school, and he's going to do it with a great team of support around him. So can we give Luke a big hand? Luke is going to be having a parent meeting on Sunday night, November 14th at 5 p.m., where he is going to request some help for some parents. He's going to ask for some help people over there. Student ministry doesn't mean we just drop them off and leave. We need everybody to be a part of that. So parents, we want you to be a part of that. So I'm so thankful for these guys. But in order to be able to readjust these positions, we did need to add some existing staff. I'd like to announce two full-time positions and one small part-time position that we'll be searching for in the days ahead that will be presented in next year's budget. First, we need to hire an associate pastor. This person has been needed at Enon Baptist Church for a long time. I want to be honest with you. I, I've, I've found out even in the last month, last six weeks here, that there's no way that I can do the job alone in this position without somebody in that role. And if we're going to continue to grow as a church... We have to have somebody in this role. This person would take the assimilation process away from Donnie. So this person would be over making sure all the guests that come are, are connected well, are reached out to well in the church. And then the primary thing that this associate, obviously they'll be able to preach for me some, but the primary responsibility that I want from this associate pastor is to oversee our next generation team. From children, from babies, all the way through college and career, somebody who's gifted in that realm, who's been a student pastor, who's served in kids' ministry areas, gifted organizationally, to be the person to be hands-on organizationally. If you know anything about children's ministry and, and, and student ministry, it's some of the busiest ministries at the church, amen? But it's got to be our first priority. I'm going to give leadership to those at a high level, but I need somebody who's going to be able to get in the nitty-gritty with it. And what we want from this role is to be able for us to look at a parent who joins Enon Baptist Church and says, if you bring a baby here at Enon Baptist Church, and when they graduate high school, here's our entire plan of coming alongside you to help them graduate high school a fully devoted follower of Christ and ready to go to college or the next season of their life fully faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Secondly, the second full-time position would be associate minister of music. This role would primarily work again with our next generation. Folks, I can't tell you how much fun I've had with Ken McWilliams in the last couple of weeks. His office next to me uh, and us getting poked my head in there and he says crazy off the wall stuff and does his old man invitation, which is the funniest thing on earth, by the way. <laughs> Ken has served faithfully here at England for over 25 years and he's going to continue to do that. Ken has the praise God for that. But the reality is, with Ken leading our choir, our orchestra, helping overseeing our children, helping with our children's music, with students' music, with Sunday gatherings and so much, we, we love to worship here at Enon and we love music and it's just too much for one person. This person, this associate music minister, would help us lead our student worship on Wednesday night and help recreate our student worship band to have a band that can help be a part of that, help with the student choir. They would also be the point person to be able to help with kids' ministry and worship and all those areas with VBS and those things. It's a guitar guy who can help in these areas. But this person would also help on Sunday mornings under the direction of Ken McWilliams. Ken, this person would submit to, would come under the leadership chart of Ken McWilliams. 
This person would essentially be another student pastor. This person would be somebody who's going to be there on Wednesday nights with Luke. It's going to be another person in the room. So they're not just leading worship. They're a part of the students, but it's somebody that is geared towards music. This is a great opportunity for us to bridge the gap between Wednesday night worship and Sunday morning worship. To help us in that, to come alongside that. And I really believe that this can help us go forward. Let me say this to you here today. There's nobody in this room that is more excited about this position than me, but also Ken McWilliams, who's sitting there on that front row. And so we believe this is something that's going to go forward, and we're super excited about that. So let's praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Finally, one small part-time role that we will be looking that would be very similar to what Steve Knox does for us with uh, our disaster relief would just be somebody to help oversee community outreach. When we do these serve days uh, four times a year, somebody that can help us rally to these serve moments, we just need somebody that can help do that. So that would be an outreach, uh, a community outreach director. Financially, it won't really be a, a big position as much as it will be an organizational role for us here at the church. Now, these are the only new additions to our staff budget for next year. Two full-time roles and one part-time role. But I really believe that these will help get us farther down the road and will help poise us for the days ahead. Now, let me say this very quickly, and I'm almost done. What is the process to hire these people? Because, again, I want to lead, but I want you to be able to see me, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, this is the, I will help lead the search for these positions along with pertinent staff and the personnel team. Once a possible candidate is found, we will bring that candidate before the personnel team and our deacons because it's one of the greatest ways our deacons can serve is just for them to hear and be able to speak into that. Man, I sense the Lord on this man in this role. If our, if I, again, if, if they got to make it through me first and then they go through the personnel team and then they go through our deacons and then at that point, if everybody's in agreement, we would let the church know a couple of weeks in advance. We would have them up here on a Saturday where you guys could have a little brunch with them or something and meet them if you, anybody has any questions. And then that Sunday morning, we would do a voice vote. Okay, So this is we want to let you know how that we're approaching that process. I think it's fair. It's equitable. It brings everybody in the loop. It doesn't surprise anybody. But this is what I would say to you here today. Church, we got to pray. This is not like going to Walmart and hiring somebody to bag groceries. Okay, we got to pray that God sends us God's men. And so I want to invite you in that process tonight to begin praying with us. And then the second way we're going to build the church is by addressing some of our facility needs. I've had several meetings with our building grounds team, and they've made me aware of some needs in our church. And I want to bring some of those thoughts to you here today. First impressions matter. When we're welcoming people to our campus, it's a big deal. Most people believe that within a few minutes of somebody stepping on your campus, they make the decision about whether or not they're going to come back. The house of the Lord should be no less updated or nicer than the own homes that we live in. Amen? So that being the case, we've got a few suggestions that I'd like to bring. First, I would suggest, now this is the stuff I don't have a timeline on. This is, I want to put it before you so we begin talking and praying about it. I would suggest we, be, we begin prepare, praying and preparing to do some updating and upkeep of our worship room here and the foyer area. This is an incredibly beautiful facility. I have scriptures that I wrote right here under the floor that I'm standing on as we all prayed. And Brother John Hambright led us into this. And we've seen the faithfulness of how God has used this facility. And it's not going away anytime soon. We need to. But if you really look around with, first, with fresh eyes, that there's stains on the carpet. There's carpet that's rolling up here up front. If you go out in the foyer, we've got tiles that are cracked. 
and we've got uh, some beautiful furniture and things out there that are, that are falling apart, and there's things that we're having to do updates on some of these things. Here's, here's the truth. It has been an incredible, it's a beautiful building. It's just time to do a little bit of a facelift on it. We need to paint a little bit. We put a new, a new flooring in, make some spaces out there. Let me tell you something that I want to see in this, in this hallway when people come in. I'd love us to have an entire map of the world painted on that wall. And I'd love everybody who's ever been a member of Indian Baptist Church for you to, but you've been to the nations, you went on a mission trip here, that you give us a picture of you and you tell us what country you went to. And we've got a whole wall of people that went and served short term. People like Kelly who went recently uh, midterm that we could say that you served for a year or two. Man, journeyman program, one of those things that you could put your face on there. And I'd love to have a section say, here's our full-time missionaries that we've sent out. Because every time you walk by it, you'd say, you know what? We need to pray that God sends us one of those. And so, and then lastly, our old sanctuary is something that we do need to update. I did have one of our Building and Grounds Committee guys tell me that if for some reason uh, he passed away before we did something with that, that he prayed that he would be holding, that we'd be holding his ashes when we tore that building down, okay? So, <laughs> it is an incredible space, and God has used it incredibly. But there are some, it's getting to that point to where, what is the benefit versus the payoff of that? And the truth is, what we need, as you saw tonight, we don't even have a place that we can gather to eat together. So again, this is a long time. In the, I mean, this, this is way future talk. But I would suggest we start praying through and thinking through the day where we could build a similar building like our children's building that is a fellowship hall maybe on the first floor where we can all gather together and that could also be upstairs and could be used for students. That this is our high school student ministry building, but we could also use it. For fellowship. So these are some things. Again, these are big things the day, days ahead. We don't have any idea on timeline, cost on these things. I just wanted you to know from my heart because I want you to know what we're thinking, what we're praying about. So again, none of this catches you by surprise. And then the last thing today, and we're preparing to close, to complete our great vision, we must be a church that has a clear discipleship pathway. Again, that place where somebody can give their life to Christ, be baptized, and in three years, they are able to come out on the other side three to four years where they are able to lead somebody to faith in Christ and they're able to disciple other people. This is what Scripture calls us to be, is to be a people who are making disciples who are making disciples. Our discipleship pathway at Enon will always begin with life groups, okay? So church family, we've got to be a part of a life group. You've got to be a part of where you can connect with other people. If you haven't done that, then you need to do that. You say, well, I don't like life groups. Maybe you think they're boring. Well, then go start one and make it exciting. Can I say something to you here today? Movements of God happen among friends. Life groups are the places where you get in relationship and you build friendships. And then from there, our discipleship pathway will include Wednesday night equipped classes. We'll have a regular rotation of classes where you can learn how to share your faith, basic theology, how to handle your finances in a godly way, how to raise biblical children, how to love and respect your spouse, how to walk in freedom from strongholds in your life. These rotation of classes where we can do this, where you can say, hey, wherever you are, this is the plan. Get in this group, go to these classes, and then finally, our discipleship pathway must include a one-on-one -on -one mentorship similar to what we're doing with Man Church right now where you get in a relationship that's not co-ed. A few men with a few other men, a few ladies with a few other ladies, where you learn how to read through the Bible together, where you can be real about your life, where they can help you grow in your relationship with Christ. My thought would be is that it would be great if life groups is what you give on Sunday morning and then one other night in the week, maybe you meet with the ladies of your life group and that's your disciple group. And that's where you're able to get real about where you are. These things 
have got to happen. Church family, we got to go. And I don't want to keep you over, but this is where I want to end on tonight. A great vision starts in our heart. Starts in believing what God can and wants to do. It starts with us saying, man, I want to be a part of that. But then a great vision goes from there to say, Lord, here I am. I'm putting my yes on the table. How do you want me to be a part of this? It may be getting connected in a life group. It may be that when we go to serve days and the days ahead, you show up and serve. When we do third Sunday night prayer, that's you show up to pray. A great vision goes from being an idea and a vision to reality when we vote with our feet and with our knees. And So tonight, I want to close on a prayer that God would take us in the days ahead that we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Yes, Lord, we will go for your name and glory. Remember how we opened up? I am coming soon. Man, I would pray that the Lord finds all of us right in the middle of striving after a vision that's worthwhile for his name and glory. Amen? Listen, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's hard to jump in on a vision for a Savior that you don't know. I'm going to invite you to come see me right after this. And I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. love to talk to you about what that is. I know we've got to go get kids and all that good stuff, so I'm going to pray. If you've got any questions about it in the days ahead, come see me. This is why we wanted to put it out there before you beforehand. Start praying, and let's believe for the future here at Indian Baptist Church. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for, Lord, I just sense among the people, God, a joy of moving forward. God, I pray in no way, Lord, in no way would the devil find any ground here. Um, God, I pray for unity, Lord, for your name and glory. And Jesus, I ask you. God, would it all come back to, Lord, lives changed for you, Jesus, for your name and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Can you stand up? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, you are sent. Go tell some people about Jesus. See you Sunday.